Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Dallas Cowboys. This is the Cowboys Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Cowboys Wire editor, K.D. Drummond. All right, K.D., we're back off the Cowboys bye week, and right off the bat, Jerry Jones... He talk, he's talking like he's a kind of on board for the backdoor tank, right? He was. I, I clipped his quotes because I, and I can't help it. I can't help but do the whole Jerry Jones voice kind of because you know he's like he's like <laughs> what you're seeing is real, legitimate, positive confidence and enthusiasm. It happens with young players. I just can't help but do it. You know, I just I read a quote with Jerry Jones's voice in my head, but it seems like he's, <laughs> it seems like he's embracing this movement. It's he's he's ready for some young guys to get out there and get more play over the second half of the season, and I think that's a good thing. Coming off a weekend where the NFC East standings got even more ridiculous with the Eagles losing to the Giants. Three wins is enough for first place right now, which is just bananas. Ten weeks into a season. Coming out of the bye week, it does seem like Jerry Jones is kind of on board. Even if he's not coming right out and saying it, he seems like he's on board with the backdoor tank a little bit, Katie, like we were talking about last week. Yeah, and it it makes perfect sense because Jerry Jones is a lover of all shiny things. So (laughs) the possibility possibility that the Cowboys could either get a very, very talented player at the top of the draft or trade that pick for a bounty of picks and have them remember the Herschel Walker deal. Either of those things centers the Cowboys in the spotlight when it comes to draft weekend. So Jerry Jones spinning forward obviously is going to be more on the side of let's see how bad this can go without losing any of the fan support and the financial support that comes with that. Now, do I think that they still want to win individual games? I think everybody on a week-to-week basis wants to win. You want to escape from the preparation of the week, all the work that's put into a week to get to the game with a victorious feeling at the end. But it's a very good consolation prize to know that you have unmitigated catastrophe when it comes to injuries. You're starting two tackles. Your starting quarterback are both gone. And your offense is the best part of your team. So that isn't likely to carry over into next season. So the whole idea and what I've been comparing it to recently is this is David Robinson getting hurt for the Spurs. This is the opportunity to get the Tim Duncan when you know that you already have a quality team, but circumstances are putting you in a position where you're going to have a high draft pick. So Jerry is definitely on board with that. Yeah, and, and he stopped short of saying like a guy like Zeke should, you know, get scaled back touches, right? It doesn't sound like he wants that, but for me it's like that's been in kind of the back of my mind for the last couple of weeks. Like against the Steelers, Zeke had a pretty good game. Seems like he's starting to turn it around a little bit. I think he's trying to be a leader out there. He knows that's kind of his role right now is you know, guys are going to be looking to Zeke to, to be that guy. But what do you think about that, Katie? Like, at what point should we start seeing more Pollard and less Zeke? Because the only thing that could really, like, haunt the Cowboys is if Zeke got some type of injury that followed him into the offseason. I know that's not his history, but if something weird were to happen with Zeke and he does have this something that he's dealing with going into the offseason, that would just be kind of annoying in a season like this. 
Yeah, that, that's that's exactly the point. We were talking about that on my uh, Catch the Save podcast, that the question that I have is whether or not the Cowboys care. I know that the Cowboys hear the conversation among the fans that Elliott's overpaid, they shouldn't have uh, signed him, running backs don't matter, give Pollard more touches and all of that. I wonder if that is going to play a role in how they dictate who gets the most snaps or who gets the lion's share of the snaps over the course of those final seven games of the season. They should err on the side of health. If Ezekiel Elliott is nursing a hamstring injury, which it appears he is, he was a game time decision against the Steelers uh, prior to the bye week. If there's any lingering of that, they should probably sit him back. But the atrocity of the NFC East kind of flies in counter to everything we know about what the Cowboys look like right now this season. I mean, there's never been a, a division this bad. Outside of playing each other, the NFC East has a combined 2-18-1 against the rest of the NFL. It's <laughs> a great two, stat. It's a one. great stat. You're, you're, you're it's, so it's, right. It's amazing how bad the division is that the Cowboys could have lost four in a row, been blown out in pretty much every single game that they've played so far this year. The only reason they have two wins are because of miraculous comebacks and somehow they are still just a game out of first place. So with all of that said, it's kind of hard to tell your team, work as hard as you possibly can every week, and still look at it from the point of view of we're really one of the three or four worst teams in the league, but the other three or four worst teams are all in the division. So it's just, (laughs) aside from the Jets, (laughs) because the Jacksonville Jaguars actually looked uh, pretty promising when they played the Packers this past week. Uh, but o- overall, it's just a, a weird conflict between what you know the reality is and what the division standings say are possible. Uh, and, and the Cowboys just uh, they're struggling just like everybody else to figure out which side of the coin they flip on. Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting storyline. And, and the fact that the Cowboys could, Katie, feasibly still contend for this NFC East, they could be the number four seed. They could because yep. they play Washington, Philly, Giants. They played these teams down the freaking stretch. So it's not out of the like realm of possibility that they, that they could get hot. They do have good players, and their defense is playing better. So it's not like it's out of the realm of possibility that they could find a way to at least get in the conversation late in the season. But just for the record, I know you would get no joy out of watching the Cowboys host a playoff game against, like, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks, right? Not only do I think they would get blown out in that scenario, they also would be picking 20th, even though they're one of the five worst teams right. in the NFL. And that's, so that hurts. that combination, that would really be bad. But I made the point, the Cowboys – could have no improvement over these last seven weeks of the season. They could be the exact same team they were when they played Pittsburgh and when they played Philadelphia the last two weeks, and they could still end up winning the division. That's how crazy it is. They could show no improvement, and their schedule is so easy. They still play Cincinnati. Like you said, they still play the Giants, Washington, and Philly. All teams that are right there with them in the hunt for one of the top three or four picks in the draft, they could play exactly where they are, escape that the rest of their schedule with three or four more wins and end up winning the division, even though they're a hideous team. That's the worst case scenario of it all. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Okay. Okay. So we're, we're coming off a of bye week. So we have a chance to do something a little bit fun here. Katie's got takes for days. It's not only on the Cowboys. He's got takes for days on, on all things NFL. So I want to do five questions coming off the bye week to get reacclimated with the current state of the NFL with Katie. We'll do that coming up next. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit them, start them. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends at a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from thehuddle.com. 
Corey Benini with TheHuddle.com here to talk to you about fantasy football strong plays for week 11 of the NFL season. Quarterback Jameis Winston versus the Atlanta Falcons. Winston replaces Drew Brees, who's injured and is going to miss at least several weeks. The former Tampa Bay quarterback has plenty of weapons, the familiarity with this week's opponent, and it doesn't hurt that Atlanta has given up the second most passing yards and the most touchdowns to quarterbacks in 2020. You'll see some Taysom Hill worked in as usual, but Winston is a strong play and has a lot on the line. Running back DeAndre Swift of the Detroit Lions is moving into that must-start territory. He was officially designated the starter prior to last week's game, and Swift averaged 5.1 yards per carry on his 16 totes, adding another 68 yards and a score in five receptions. Up next is the Carolina defense, one that was slashed last week by Ronald Jones, and he was the sixth back to get at least 25 PPR points in 10 games this year. No team has allowed more catches to the position in 2020. Another guy coming off a strong performance in Week 10, Willie Sneed of the Baltimore Ravens versus the Tennessee Titans. Averaging six targets in his last three games, Sneed's increase in action has finally paid off with a pair of scores against the Patriots Sunday night. He has Lamar Jackson's trust in all settings and is their go-to clutch receiver. Tennessee has given up huge receiving results in the last five weeks and mostly throughout 2020. This is by far the best matchup for receptions, 25 more than second place, and it's number two for yardage gains. Seven touchdowns have been scored by wide receivers in the last five games. Washington football team tight end Logan Thomas versus the Cincinnati Bengals. He has at least four targets in every game this year and 12 in the last two weeks. Even with a two-game scoreless streak, Thomas has scored 10-plus PPR points in three of his last four games. Prior to holding Eric Ebron to a 38-yard game in Week 10, a contest in which Pittsburgh's receivers destroyed Cincinnati all over the field, the Bengals had given up six touchdowns to tight ends in the previous four contests. Thomas makes her a sneaky play if you're desperate for a tight end. For more fantasy football tips, news, and advice, be sure to check out thehuddle.com. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, if you took the weekend off from football completely or a little bit, that means you might have missed the Hail Murray. Kyler Murray to D. Hopkins with three Bills defenders draped all over him for a walk-off touchdown. Easily the wildest, craziest finish of the year, KD. Uh, what's the craziest Cowboys win that kind of remains lodged in your memory from back in your, your days as a fan? Uh, it would have to be the Monday night game in Buffalo where Romo was having Tony Romo, who is the best quarterback in the history of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. I wanted you to collect the fanboy out a little bit. There you go. Yeah, I, I, I had to. Tony Romo, for me, the, the one big regret that I have is that he was never able to finish his career on his own terms because the way that he was playing in 2014 was by far the best quarterbacking that I had seen in decades. He, he should have been the MVP that year. They robbed him. They gave it to Aaron Rodgers. But Tony Romo was the best player in the National Football League in 2014. And he never really got a chance to come back after that. So that's my biggest regret. But as far as the game that I remember the best, it would have to be that Monday night game against Buffalo when Romo was playing. Just He, he looked like the worst quarterback in the history of the universe. And he had thrown five interceptions, had fumbles, and lo and behold, somehow the Cowboys Cowboys were able to come back against everybody knows how passionate Buffalo Bills fans are. Now imagine Buffalo having not been on Monday Night Football, I believe it was like 15 or 20 years at the time. Like they, they had, it, it wasn't that long, but it was a very long time 
since the Bills had been on Monday Night Football, basically since the dynasty of the Cowboys dynasty of the 90s when the Bills were going to the Super Bowl every year. They were no longer that relevant. So Monday Night Football had returned. The crowd was crazy. Uh, the Bills were basically kicking the Cowboys' tail up and down the field. Roma looked horrible. And somehow they were able to get an onside kick. And Nick Foles hit, I believe, his fifth field goal of the game. And not only that, they froze him. So he made the first kick. And they called the timeout, so it didn't count. And then he kicked another one in order to win the game following an onside kick. It was by far the most exhilarating win that I've had as a fan. Close to that was earlier this season when they had the watermelon kick onside at Atlanta, and they were able to win on a last second field goal by Greg Zerline. What was close would have been the catch that Des Bryant made in the end zone yes. against the Giants yep. when his fingertips came out of bounds. That would have probably been the most surreal victory if that had counted. But his fingertips touched out of bounds, and, they, and he, it was called an incompletion. Obviously, we know what happened in the playoff game against Green Bay with the catch but there was plenty of time left on the clock. So I don't think, you know, we, we don't know what would have happened even if the Cowboys had taken the lead there. Uh, you know, shout outs to Marco Murray for the fumble earlier in the game that really cost the Cowboys a victory. Uh, but overall, I think those two games, uh, the game against Atlanta this year and then the game against the Bills, uh, you know, a, a decade ago, those to me really stand out as the last second victory. But kudos to Colin Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. That was just insane. That was sick. That was freaking sick. And uh, I mean, yeah, man. Murray running all over the place. It's like he set his feet I mean, he just kind of chucked it and then Hopkins high pointing it between three defenders like that it was it was unreal it was unreal but one of your favorite Cowboys moments like that happened to the Bills as well right so the poor Bills they've had plenty of these moments where these games have just hearts ripped out of their <laughs> chest right and they're lighting things on fire out in Buffalo whatever they do lose a tough ball game uh, throw people through tables <laughs> yeah so yeah exactly exactly yeah only not the ones that collapse you know they start throwing people through the, the hard table but what's the most memorable Cowboys defeat if you had to go on the other side of that now you talked about Romo. There's one that I think is tops my list, but I'm not exactly like a Cowboys fan. What would you say is like the one that you still haven't gotten over, Katie? I, the first question there, I could tell it brought you a little bit of joy. This one shouldn't. Oh, it's, it's very easy. I, there's no question in my mind. I've never gotten over the playoff loss 2006, well, 2007, but the 2006 season, the playoff loss in Seattle that's, with the bobble snap. That's the one. Never gotten over it. That's the one. Never gotten over it. I, I refuse to get over that one. It's, it's a, funny. I tell the story. Uh, my now wife and I, uh, when we were dating, after that game happened and it was so miserable, I woke up the next morning, like 630 in the morning, and the first words out of my mouth were, I can't believe he dropped the snap. <laughs> and and I woke her up, and she rolled up. She said, you're still talking about that game? And we almost broke up because <laughs> that's, how, that's how hurt I was over that loss. But to me, and this this is another thing uh, that we just talked about on the Catch This Fade episode uh, that aired last night, the 2016 was my favorite team. You had Bill Parcells. You had Tony Romo coming into his own. You had Jason Witten emerging mm-hmm. as soon to be the best tight end ever. You had Terrell Owens. You had my favorite number two receiver in the history of history, Terry Glenn. You had Marion Barber being the short yardage back, 14 touchdowns, even though he wasn't the leading, even though he wasn't the starting back. Everything that you could think of, that team had it. 2006 was the most fun year, and it appeared to the Cowboys, remember, because they had uh, you know, they had fallen down. Parcells took over the team. They, he got into the playoffs. Then they regressed that they implemented the 3-4 defense, and they had just gotten themselves back up, and everything was working right. And then that game came down to Seattle 
switching out the kicker ball for that to hold. A lot of people don't realize this. The NFL literally changed the rule as far as home teams being in control of the kicking balls until the time came down to kick because Seattle greased the ball. It's not even up for debate. (laughs) Seattle greased the ball, and the NFL changed the rules based on that. But there we are, Tony Romo uh, bobbling the snap, trying to to run for it, the kicker trying to run. It was just, that was a heartbreak that that I've never gotten over. You know, if if they did grease that ball, Katie, out here in New England, where I'm from, uh, we call that good football. That's what we call it out here. <laughs> so, so, hey, more more questions with Katie coming up next. It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of SportsbookWire.com and Bet Slippin' Podcast. I'm joined by Jeff Clark to break down all you need to know to bet on the Week 11 Monday Night Football game between the Los Angeles Rams and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Buccaneers come in favored by three and a half points on home field. They beat the Carolina Panthers 46-23 last week. The Rams, they're three and a half point underdogs after their 23-16 win over the Seattle Seahawks. Jeff, how are you feeling about this one? Give me the better coach and the better defense with the Los Angeles Rams. People took Sean McVay for granted and weren't high on the Rams before the season started, but he's got them tied for first place in the NFC West, and I still think the Rams are undervalued. And who's even got the best defense in this game? Rams give up the second fewest points per game and the fewest yards per attempt to opposing quarterbacks. I'm on the Rams plus three and a half. It's very evenly matched. You're dead on there. The Buccaneers, they have more offensive weapons for the Rams to cover. They keep them busy. They win by four points. All odds courtesy of BetMGM. Subscribe to BetSlip and Podcast on your favorite app. Please be sure to rate and review. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Katie, Drew Brees leads a, uh, well, he finishes a two-minute drill, I should say, this past week with uh, broke, like, fractured ribs and a collapsed lung. Uh, so, he's ridiculous. These football players are out of control. Does anything come to mind of a Cowboys tough guy moment for you? Yeah, honorable mention is when Byron Jones snapped his kneecap back, and it was, and he just went on and kept playing. <laughs> that, like, that's great. The which for, for fans that don't remember the play, picture which you saw with Dak Prescott's ankle earlier this year, that's what we thought we were looking at with Byron Jones on the ground. His kneecap literally was to the side of his leg. And he just looked down at it, moved it back over, got up and went back to playing football. No worries. That's, yeah, that's an honorable mention. But Drew Brees was doing his best Tony Romo impression. There was a game a few years ago when Tony Romo uh, broken ribs, the ribs punctured his lung. He got the shot at halftime, came back out and led a comeback that led to Jesse Holly, who was the infamous Mr. Fourth and Long from that Michael Urban series, the reality series to find somebody to play on the Dallas Cowboys. Jesse Holly was that winner. And he ended up catching a beautiful pass from Tony Romo in overtime that led to the game-winning field goal against San Francisco. 
Uh, so for me, that Tony Romo being able to come back, it was a play. He had a great touchdown to Miles Austin, but Miles Austin was basically levitating, running parallel to the ground, trying to get in the end zone. It was just the game had so many key plays, and it all started with Romo being knocked out and then making an appearance after halftime, coming back to play, and then having to deal with it with the uh, punctured lung after the game. So yeah, that's my all-time heroic performance when it comes to the yeah, Cowboys. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's a good one. That's I'm glad you jogged my memory on that one. I kind of forgot about that play. I forgot his rib punctured his lung. I forgot about that. Yep. Uh, yep. That's that's crazy. And and people can say what they want about Tony Romo. Your guy, your guy, Tony Romo. As I'm learning here, KD Drummond. Uh, but uh, no one's gonna say he's not a tough, tough sob because he was. Yeah. Tony Romo yeah. was a tough, really tough was. dude. We brought up the Patriots last segment for some reason. Just gotta gotta do that. But they did get a good win over the Ravens thanks to a freaking monsoon in the fourth quarter. I don't know how much people saw that game. The Pats and the Ravens. They played in like a it was severe thunderstorms in Massachusetts. It was windy. It was rainy. The Ravens couldn't snap the ball. They couldn't catch the snap. They couldn't hand it off. The weather was too crazy, and they were trailing in the fourth quarter, and they couldn't figure it out. So I know there's been some great weather games in Dallas Cowboys history. What's your favorite one, Katie? Oh, boy. Uh, Favorite weather game in Cowboys history. I mean, how can you say anything other than the snow game where Leon Lett uh, had the ball knocked out from him when he was recovering the fumble. I'll still remember I mean, that, that play. I was a kid when I saw it, but I'll still remember that play forever. Yeah, that, 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 that is etched in your mind as far as bad weather games. Um, along, actually, none of the bad weather games are in the Cowboys' favor because the other one that I'm thinking about is the NFC Championship game against San Francisco when the field was so muddy because they had torrential rain for like three days prior to the game. And it was just a slugfest and the Cowboys went down early and they tried to fight back this was in uh, Barry Switzer's first year taking over from Jimmy Johnson. So the Cowboys had won the back-to-back Super Bowls, and then they played San Francisco again. This is a whole image. Remember Steve Young on the sideline saying, get the monkey off my back and all of yeah, those yeah, things yeah, and yeah, all yeah. NFL films and all that. So really, I don't have any positive weather memories when it comes to the Cowboys. <laughs> okay, beautiful. Yeah, no, the, the Patriots ones, they all seem to be positive for some reason, which is why I think people blame Belichick. They think he manufactured that rain there in the fourth quarter when Lamar Jackson was trying to come back. But He, he has been known to have control of the weather department. <laughs> So. Yeah, yeah, and the opposing team's uh, uh, head, headset in communications. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got buttons over there, Katie. He does. There you go. <laughs> um, so, so the Cowboys return to football this week. They play the Vikings, who, as you mentioned, are on a bit of a roll. They've won yep. three straight including one over Green Bay. Dalvin Cook getting in there has really kind of given a boost to that offense. If you could pick one guy off the Vikings roster, plug him into the Cowboys, and maybe not for this year, Katie. Let's not kid ourselves. We're not trying to win a Super Bowl this year in Dallas. But for the future, if you could just pluck one player off the Vikings, plug him in Dallas, who would you want? That's a tough question because I think that the Vikings' best player is Justin Jefferson. I was really looking forward to... Trevon Diggs and Justin Jefferson getting that whole SEC rivalry renewed. No doubt. And now Diggs out for 46 weeks because of his broken foot. But Justin Jefferson, although he has clearly a place on any roster in the league, the one place that the Cowboys are really good at is wide receiver. Right. So I would probably say that I would take Anthony Harris, who is their safety, who is playing on the franchise tag and hopefully will be a Dallas Cowboy in 2021. There you go. This is a realistic because one. They, yeah, they, they really need to have uh, an improved play at the safety position, although I do love Donovan Wilson and how he's coming along. And um, Anthony Harris, he would be a great addition uh, to, to what the Cowboys are doing right now. Uh, he would probably be my primary steal because, really, I don't like much of anything else except you know, from, from the Vikings. I, I think their quarterback is horrible. I think Kirk Cousins is a tremendous failure at the position. <laughs> I call him I call him Kirk Grossman because that's who he is. Um, 
So, yeah, so I would probably say Anthony Harris. Shout out to Dan Bailey, who's still kicking. Uh, my guy split him. I nicknamed him split him all the years ago because almost every kick before he started to falter was exactly down the middle of the upright. So it was uncanny how accurate he was as a kicker. So uh, glad to see him still trucking along in the league. Yeah, I, I would probably say them. Maybe give me Eric Kendrick. Sure. But, yeah, I would yeah I would probably lean, lean towards Anthony Harris. That would like be the it. guy that I like it. I always appreciate that. I always appreciate your knowledge. And, and that, was a, that was a fun little exercise, getting your takes from yeah, uh, some past. Cowboys memories. Some good, some not so good. A lot of them focus on Tony Romo. So I'm always, yes. I'm always learning stuff. I'm always learning more about you as we go, but I always appreciate you, my man. All the time, man. Anytime you need me. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.